Our message will take from the entire chapter, but since there are 40-some verses, we'll only read the first few as we begin, and we'll work the others in as we go. Ordinarily, we read the entirety of the passage. It's a symbolic way for us to recognize that we are under the authority of the Word. It's a way, symbolically, of also making sure we're all together here. Uh, but because of the length, we'll, I won't do the whole thing. On the other hand, had I not explained what I just did, I could have been halfway through the passage. But uh, but hear this word of God. Psalm 107, verse 1. I'll give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so those whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south. The word of our God. Let's pray. Our holy God, we we do come with thanksgiving this day as we have seen your goodness in so many ways and we've celebrated it this morning through song with our children, through uh, the baptism of your covenant. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to pour out your blessings, not for our worthiness, but because it is your nature. May we, your people, recognize how good you are and praise your name. We pray this to your glory, but for also for our joy in Christ. Amen. The quaint little town of Jonesboro in the hills of East Tennessee is known primarily for two things. One, it was the original capital of the ill-fated and short-lived state of Franklin. Uh, I'm sure you all are familiar with with that. Uh, But right after the Revolutionary War, some of the pioneers thought that it might be a good idea to add a 14th state to the Union and taking lands that were ceded uh, ceded by uh, the the state of North Carolina, uh, the the lands west of the mountains known as the the Over Mountain region, uh, they began to set up shop and to establish a state a state which in their minds continued from, uh, the, from uh, 1784 until 1789. Unfortunately for those pioneers in the minds of those who were putting together our Constitution, it was never, never recognized. And even more to their misfortune, the people in North Carolina who originally ceded them the land decided they wanted the land back, and then North Carolina went to war against this tiny little new unfounded state. And so Jonesboro, the oldest city in the state of Tennessee, was the original capital of the ill-fated state of Franklin. The other thing that it is known for is this. It is the home of the National Storytelling Festival. Every fall, each October, thousands of people travel from around the world and gather in this small town to hear some of the most seasoned storytellers spin their yarns. Why do people gather from far and wide? Well, the answer in one sense is quite simple, because everybody likes a good story. But even more than just liking a good story, listen to the significance of storytelling from an article from Psychology Today in January 2011. Telling stories is the best way to teach, persuade, and even understand ourselves. Stories are the common ground that allows people to communicate, overcoming our defenses and our differences, Stories allow us to understand ourselves better and to find our commonality with others. Stories are how we think. They are how we make meaning of life. 
And so while everybody loves a good story, we enjoy a good story, stories form us and stories shape us, stories inspire us and stories compel us, they carry us along. In Psalm 107, we see the psalmist has given us four stories here, four poetic pictures of peril from which our all-powerful God has delivered those whom he loves. Uh, The first story that we encounter here, we see in verses 4 through 9, it's the story of those who are lost, those who are wandering. Let's read this. Uh, Some wandered in the desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached the city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. And so it's a short poetic story of those who are lost, those who are wandering, whether it's those who are physically lost in wandering, or those who are emotionally, spiritually lost in wandering. Being in that condition of lostness is incredibly distressful. Just think about a time that you may have been driving in a a city that you're not particularly familiar with, and you just make one wrong turn. Now, I don't know what your tendency to do at that point is. Uh, Mine has been, especially prior to GPSs, to keep pressing on, because sooner or later something good is about to happen. Although there have been times in those cities that I keep seeing the city getting darker and darker and darker, and I have absolutely no way to knowing where I'm going nor where I am. And it's, it's frightening because you, not knowing where you go, can pour yourself into more and more danger because you don't know which way to turn. Well, and that's the picture here of those who are, are living their lives that way, but even more in a spiritual sense. They don't know which way to turn, and so they make decisions according to instinct, but their instincts take them further and further away from the peace from which they desire. And yet, the promise here is they cried out to God, and God delivers them from their distress. The second story that we see are people who are living in darkness, verses 10 through 16. Some sat in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in in affliction and in irons, for they had rebelled against the words of God and had spurned the high counsel of the Most High. So he bowed their hearts down with hard labor. They fell down with none to help. Then they cried out to their Lord, to the Lord in their their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness and in the shadow of death and burst their bonds apart. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, For he shatters the doors of bronze and cuts into the bars of iron. And so the picture here are people that are in prison, whether they are in physical prison or whether they are in figurative prison, could be in prison to an addiction of substance abuse, or they could be in prison of depression, or feeling the prison bars of of guilt that they don't seem to be able to shake. And they cried out to God, and God breaks their bonds. He breaks their, their situation and he bows their hearts and he delivers them. 
The third story is a story of fools. We see that in verses 17 through 22. Some were fools through their sinful ways, and because of their iniquities suffered affliction. They loathed any kind of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He delivered them from their destruction. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of men, and let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds in song of joy. And is this one story would probably have been told better if it had been told by Forrest Gump, who reminds us, stupid is as stupid does. And that's really probably the best definition of a fool. A person who does what they want to do, regardless of the consequences, and even seeing things that destroy them. Uh, it, it's, it, even the wording here kind of makes a um, hint to a, a substance abuse when it talks about um, that, that they even the taste of food, uh, they, they despised all of that. When I've served in other places, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're in the community, they're those who have become addicted to, to meth and serving those. And you just anybody who's addicted to meth and some other substance too, you just begin to see them waste away uh, because as they, they give to their addiction, they just they refuse to eat. Nothing, they don't have any desire to that. But there's a foolishness that, some, that characterizes some people. And they continually do things to destroy themselves. And, and yet promise here is they called out to God and he delivered them. And the final story that we see here is a story of those who are at wit's end because of life's storms. We see those in verses 23 through 32. Some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven, and they went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storms be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wondrous works to the children of man. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. And again, as you look at this, this is one that may be the most common of all, because it's not necessarily those who are in rebellion against God who are bringing consequences on themselves because of their own foolishness. These are people who may be going about their daily lives. These are people who are fishermen and work in the seas, who go down to the shore, and yet in the circumstances of life, the squall is raised, and a serious one, and it makes them afraid. It makes them feel unstable. It helps them to realize that they are not in control of anything, no matter how much they may have mastered the things that they need to do day in and day out. And the storms of life come to everyone, whether they are believers or unbeliever alike. And yet the promise here, as in the other stories, is they cried out to God in their distress. 
and the Lord delivered them from their peril. And, and all of these stories, though they are distinct in some ways, they also have this common thread that these are people who cry out to the Lord and from their circumstances, they are delivered. And it feeds the very purpose for which the psalmist has written this. He begins by saying, the Lord is good and let the redeemed say so. And these stories are stories of redemption from different circumstances. They are both literal and they can be figurative and they resonate with us. And what the psalmist is doing here in this, uh, in his writing is that he's reminding us that every one of us, every one of you has a story to tell. And he's inviting us to tell our story. But before we tell our story, it's important that we know our story. And so I'll ask this question, do you know your story? Do any of these descriptions reflect your experience? Where were you and what were the circumstances when you cried out to the Lord and he not only delivered you, but he redeemed you? It may be that you see parts of your story in more than one of these. These stories are in no way exhaustive. In a very real sense, my own story doesn't reflect any of them, but I certainly can fit parts of all of them. Because I didn't cry out to the Lord so much in distress. I was aware, certainly, that I was far from perfect. I had sin in my life, things that, if I think back to now, still make me cringe, even uh, to this day, nearly 40 years later. But my turning to the Lord was really a little bit different. It was, I just graduated high school. I was about to go to college. I had the opportunity to do things that I had always wanted to do. In my case, the only thing I ever wanted to do was continue in athletics, and I had that opportunity to do that in college. And yet, I won't say it was a full emptiness, but there was a sense of needing something more. Uh, there was a, a fear because now having having opportunity of everything I've ever dreamed of, what if, well, what if I fail? Which I sort of did. What if I find that it's not enough? The what ifs were, were gnawing at me. And so my cry to the Lord was, Lord, if there is a God, and I really never doubted that there was a God, then you are worthy of my life. I don't know why you would want my life. There's nothing spectacular about it. But since you are God, I will serve you. Now, how did the Lord respond? I didn't cry out because I was aware of my own sin, my own foolishness. After I cried out to the Lord and said, I will follow you, then he revealed it over time. He's still revealing my own foolishness, my own sinfulness, my own weakness, and continues to do that, which leads me to continually cry out to him and to see the many ways in which he delivers me. But this story here, this psalm here, is an invitation for every one of us to think about what is my story so that we can not only praise God, but that we can share it and encourage others with our stories. And so what is your story? Now, some of you, probably many of you here, might say, well, my story's kind of boring. I mean, I wasn't saved from the brink of death. 
I wasn't plunging my life, uh, uh, throwing my life away. I mean, it just, I grew up in a clean home, provided education, never missed meals, became a Christian, certainly not perfect, went to college, got married, raised kids. I mean, it's just, nobody's ever going to make a movie of my life. If that's you, I want to tell you this is, in many ways, it's a great story. Let me explain what I mean by that. You may remember that several months ago, it was, I think, November of 2019, one of the family members in our church, the, the Murphys, they had a fire that got at their house. The fire started in the middle of the night. Everybody was sleeping. And so, incredibly and very providentially, they were awakened. Recognizing the fire, Shay went and got Ryan. They all had to climb out through a window onto a roof, the second floor roof, and then able to escape this fire. But sitting on the roof for a while, they can't go back in. There's nothing they can do. They were, you know, 10, 10 12 feet above the ground, so it's not, not an easy jump. And yet God rescued them from that fire. This story was so incredible that the, the news people from Virginia Beach came up and they featured them on the news and, and let them tell their story. Everything other than when Paulette gave praise to God for delivering them, they kind of edited that part out. But it is an incredible, incredible story. And so I think about that, and I compare that with my own experience with a house fire. I've never experienced a house fire. It doesn't compare with their story. And yet my story is the better story. I mean, why is it the better story? I mean, it's nowhere near as interesting. Nobody's going to come and do a feature on me and interview me and say, tell us about your life with never having a house fire. I mean, nobody's going to ask that question. But it's not me who needs to be answering that question. Ask Shay and Paulette and Ryan if they would rather relive their story or if they would rather have my story. And I guarantee you, without having asked permission to share this, that they would say, yeah, we would much rather that our house not be gutted and we be displaced from our home for over a year. Much rather have experienced no excitement than be featured on the news. In a very real sense, those of you who think that you have stories that are boring, you have a great story. It may not be that interesting to most people, but it's a story of God's providence for you. a story of God's mercy to you and his grace. And because the great story here is not about what these people went through, but that in every situation they cried out to God, and it is our great God who was magnified because of the way he interacts. Some of your stories are still being written. Actually, all of our stories are still being written because uh, we're still living and we are still breathing. Some of them are still being written because you lived your life and you've not yet ever cried out to God for deliverance. You might have asked him for deliverance from particular circumstances, but you've not come to the end of yourself yet and asked the Lord for deliverance. And yet your story is still being written. And the promise of this passage is you can cry out to God. He will hear you. He will deliver you. He will redeem you, because that's the word that begins here. Let the redeemed say that the Lord is God. And so it's pointing to a very specific thing, not just the circumstances of our lives, but the word redemption points to the act that God has done in the person of Jesus Christ, who God who sent his son in order that he might pay the debt that we owe, pay the penalty that our sin deserves. 
having paid that, he redeems those who trust in Christ. They are redeemed. Their price has been paid. They have been purchased. And now, rather than belonging to darkness, they belong to God. And he's saying, for everyone who believes, you have been redeemed. Let the redeemed say so. And so your story may be being written still, and you have yet to cry out to God for that deliverance, rather than deliverance merely from circumstance, deliverance from God's wrath upon you. But the promise is, God will hear. He will deliver, and you will join the number of those who are praising God because you have heard and you have experienced that truly God is good. And this is not only an invitation for us to tell our story. This is an invitation for us to now also see our story as being parts of the bigger story of God's work of redemption. See, every one of you not only has a story, but every one of you has a story that fits into the grand plan of what God is doing. Everyone matters. You are woven together. Our lives are woven together. And it is the story that is being told in heaven and will be told for eternity. And so the story is not only an invitation for us to know our story and to tell our story, it's an invitation for us to see how our story fits into the flow of God's redemptive history and to spend some time and to think about that because that's when we begin to find the purpose in our lives. That's when we begin to see the significance even when we feel like there's nothing particularly extraordinary about ourselves because our story is best seen when it is seen in line with what God is doing. It's that story that we recognize that God, who created everything, knows us and is at work in our lives for his purposes. And we see the evidence of that, not only because the psalmist begins with the words, truly God is good, let the redeemed say so, but then he finishes it after the the four stories. he, He has two descriptions of God. And I won't read them, but we see the first one is verses 33 through 38, which describes God's power over nature. In other words, there's nothing in creation that is more powerful than God. So there is no circumstance in creation that is able to keep you in bondage when God has chosen to deliver you. And the second one we see in verses 39 through 42 is demonstrates God's power, in this case, over princes which is really about God's power over governments, God's power over the powers of this world. That there is nothing in creation and there is nothing in this world that is as powerful as God. So that when you cry out to him and he hears you, he not only has promised to deliver you, we are reminded that he is able to deliver us. And so as we look at this passage this morning, just a couple of takeaways, and here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to stop and to take time to regularly consider where you've been, where you are, where you might have been, except for the grace of God. I want to encourage you also to reflect on what God did to intervene in your situation, both as he redeemed you and in any situation of peril that you might have experienced, those things that you were certain were going to do you in. I mean, think about it. What were the storms in your life a year ago? 
well, I know everybody was locked up at home, so you know, it was killing one another probably in, in the house, so let's go back more than one year. What were the storms in your life five years ago, 10 years ago, that you were just so certain, this is it. There's no way I'm gonna survive this. My guess is for many of you, you can't even remember what they are. And even if they were stark and life-threatening, the reality is God saw you through. How do I know? Because you're sitting here right now. And so think about the circumstances and that you and how God had broke through and, and got your attention and, and how God delivered you. And then I want to encourage you to learn how to tell your story your story as part of God's grand narrative of redemption. And this is not only from this passage, we, we see it elsewhere uh, as well. I, I work a, a lot, oh, it's been a couple of years since I've worked on the Cherokee Reservation, but the Native American saying says, it takes a thousand voices to tell a single story. In other words, the story that any individual of us tell is great, but it needs everyone's story to tell the story of what God is doing. And God himself says this too in 1 Peter 3.15 is an instruction for us always be prepared to give answer to everyone who asks you to give reason for the hope that you have. And the reason for the hope that you have is because God heard your cry and he has delivered you from whatever your circumstance. And so learn to tell your story. We call it a testimony. Who are you? Where have you come from? And what has God been doing in your life? Not just at the point of conversion, but every day since. And we see that this is what the psalmist has in mind. Because he finishes this psalm saying this, whoever is wise, let him attend to these things. And by implication, they are to consider the story and to tell the story. Let them consider the steadfast love of the Lord. Let us be a people who give thanks to the Lord because he is good. His steadfast love lives forever. And so let the redeemed say so. Father, as we give thanks to you for bringing us from whatever it is that threatened us, may we give thanks to you all the more as we recognize it's not because of anything spectacular in us, but because it's a reflection and expression of your divine, loving, merciful, gracious character. May we stand at all at your glory and holiness, but be comforted by your grace and your providence. To you all glory in the church and throughout the world, this day and forevermore, we pray, amen.